Welcome to Try Talking Sport, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Thank you for tuning into the show. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer or endurance enthusiast, you've come to the right place to be inspired, encouraged, motivated and entertained by the sporting endeavours of our guests. If you tuned into our most recent episode featuring Graham Mackin or have been keeping an eye on my social pages, you will know that we are conducting some research to find out a little bit about you, the listener, where you are tuning in from, what you enjoy and what you would like to hear in the future. Pop over to www.trytalkingsport.com to complete our survey and you could be in with a chance to win one of our pretty cool bobble beanie hats. It's really hard to believe we are into the final week of February. This year is flying by so quickly already. If you haven't set yourself some goals or race plans for this year, or maybe you've fallen off the wagon with your fitness goals and plans, this is a great time to reset and refocus. The start of a new month bringing with it lots of opportunities to chase some goals coupled with a renewed energy for being outdoors once the weather improves, of course. It's a great incentive to get moving with those fitness and racing goals for 2020. Speaking of big goals, in this episode I chat with Donica McCarthy from Drummanig in West Cork who is chasing the Olympic dream to represent Ireland in paratriathlon in the PTVI category. Donica is the National Paratri Champion and Paratriathlete of the Year. Donica is a quiet, softly spoken athlete, but don't let that fool you. His focus, determination, passion and commitment to his sport is loud and clear and very inspiring. At the age of six, Dunica was diagnosed with cancer. He relapsed at the age of 10 and as a result of his illness became visually impaired. But he didn't let that stop his interest in sport. And he has previously captained the Irish team in blind football five-a-side with Vision Sport Ireland at the 2017 European Qualifiers and European Challenge Cup. Dunica has adapted to life with a visual impairment and is passionately pursuing his sporting goals. Although he only took up triathlon in 2017 and couldn't swim, he is now well on the road to Olympic qualification for Tokyo with the support of a number of guides and the paratriathlon team at Triathlon Ireland, headed up by Eamon Tilly. We are also joined in this episode by brothers Eamon and Dave Tilly, who give us an insight into the role of a guide with the paratri team and some snippets of insight into the history of triathlon in Ireland. Marco Dwyer also joins us hosting the episode in his offices of the Big Red Cloud in Dublin. He is one of Dunica's proud sponsors, like the rest of us, inspired by Dunica's resilience, determination and success to date. Enjoy the show. Dunica McCarthy, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. I believe you were swimming bright and early this morning. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, so swimming uh, earlier this morning, so... Uh, it was a 5, 5.30am start for me, um, so that's generally uh, one of my typical days. So usually I'm up at, at that time for training uh, before heading into work then and uh, going through my normal day. Donica, you're yeah. an elite para-triathlete. Yeah. What does that mean? I'm a para, or para-triathlete, um, so at the moment I'm competing on the ITU circuit for uh, Ireland. So I've been a triathlete, I suppose, since 2017, and I've been racing internationally since 2018. Um, so I compete in the PTVI category. So that's the category for athletes with a vision impairment. And hopefully now I'm, I'm in the middle of qualification to looking at Tokyo in August. 
So, Donna, you haven't always been visually impaired. I believe you mm. were sick as a child. Mm. And as a result of the cancer and the treatment, mm. you became blind. Yeah, so um, so I'm 29 now. Um, I lost my sight when I was uh, 10, so back in 2001. At the time, I obviously had, I how it manifested itself, I suppose. I would have been quite active as a kid. Um, I played Gaelic with my local local GA club. I suppose it was, it was actually around this time of year. So um, we're just getting back into our pre-season training. And it was my coach actually kind of noticed it. So I actually wasn't catching balls or fumbling balls that I normally wouldn't have any issue with. So um, he said that, are you having any issues with your vision? Or are you, is everything all right? And obviously I was, I was only 10 at the time and I was like, yeah, everything's fine. And it actually happened, progressed very quickly from that point on. I suppose over the next couple of weeks, I just noticed in school, um, I was struggling to see the blackboard in school um, on the paper when I was doing my homework and stuff like that. All my writing and stuff was very blurry and um, went home and said it to my parents and I said, look, I, I think there's something wrong here. At the time, we just assumed it was just that I needed glasses, like, you know. Um, so one of my sisters had glasses as well, so we just thought, so nothing run of the mill stuff here. So scheduled an appointment for um, CUH, so the University Hospital in Cork, and uh, two days later travelled up to get an eye test done. In the space of that two days, my eyesight had steadily worsened to the state where when I actually went for my eye test, I couldn't see anything on the actual eye chart the uh, doctor was holding and basically keep coming closer and closer until she was about maybe a metre away and I could just make out the top letter on the board and that was it. So they were like, okay, there's there's something seriously wrong here. So um, I just was straight in for an eye scan or for an MRI scan. And basically from that point on then, um, yeah, they, they realized that it was cancer and I was just put straight in for chemotherapy and radiotherapy treatment. And subsequently over the space of maybe three or four weeks, lost my sight completely. So Donica, how did that impact your life at such a young age to go from quite an active young lad mm. to the situation where you were going through a cancer treatment, but also resulting in visual impairment? Yeah, like um, <laughs> it was obviously very tough, um, but I think because I was so young, um, I think children are like amazingly resilient and just get the head down, get on with things a lot of the time. And I think I was quite lucky from that point of view because obviously, yeah, I was, I'd lost my sight. I was going through chemotherapy and radiotherapy treatment, all that. But I didn't really understand what the wider impact of going blind meant. Like, um, I think it hit my parents and my family a lot harder than it actually hit me at the time. Because obviously they were looking at the bigger picture. They're saying, oh God, how's he going to go to school? How's he going to go to college, get a job? All this kind of stuff. Whereas I didn't think of that at all. I was just thinking about getting through the treatment and I just wanted to get back to school and back playing football and back, back with my friends and stuff like that. Obviously, I had a lot of help as well from organisations here in Ireland. So the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind uh, were absolutely brilliant uh, with me. So, uh, so were the National Council for the Blind. So they actually had um, a resource worker working with me and like 
what she really told me was that my life it doesn't have to be hugely different it's just we have to think of different ways of actually getting through this and doing your day-to-day tasks so getting around getting around the house um joe uh, eating your dinner uh, going to school like what can we do to make your school work easier so um it was all that kind of stuff and it was all about kind of establishing a normal routine for me as quickly as possible again so those two organizations helped immensely with that and i believe you have represented ireland you were with vision ireland at one point and you captained the irish team for the euro qualifiers and uh, euro championships yeah yeah that's true so um i suppose like football was one of the sports obviously it was what I, I played when i was a kid and it was something i loved so um i suppose i was introduced to visually impaired sport once i went to college and um that was true vision sports ireland uh they're holding a training camp for blind football, so it's football sub five aside. It's also a Paralympic sport. I didn't have a clue what it was at the time and didn't know how it worked. But I was like, oh, I'll give this a go and see what see what it's like. So the how does the sport is played? So it has uh, the ball has ball bearings in it, so it makes noise as it moves around the pitch, and all the outfielders are completely blind or blindfolded, and then the goalkeepers are actually sighted, and you have your coaches who give instruction to you on the pitch and i absolutely loved it like it was brilliant um there's obviously a few bashes and clatters and stuff like that but um like i i think it kind of rediscovered my love for sport and love for getting out there and being active again and obviously like we started off purely recreational so that was around 2012 and to the testament of vision sports ireland they put in a huge amount of work and as well as the the fai football for all program uh, had a team of coaches who kind of worked with the team and brought us up through the levels during the years and then obviously we ended up competing in the European uh, qualifiers yeah, in Romania in 2017 so that was the first first time I suppose I pulled on an Irish kit and represented my country as a extremely proud moment. And now we're aiming to get to Tokyo 2020. Yeah so, um, yeah, so obviously it's a different sport to switch switched to triathlon um yeah so it was kind of during that year um i started a bit of running just to keep fit for football and um as i said at the start i, I work full time uh, so i work with vodafone and as you know Anne o'leary there in vodafone is a huge advocate of triathlon and at the time i thought triathlon was absolutely mental like so um i couldn't swim at the time um and I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to give this sport a try. But um, one of the guards I was running with said, uh, I think she was being coached by him at the time, and mentioned that there was um, a para-triathlon talent ID day being held by Triathlon Ireland and headed up by Eamon. And basically just said for me to come along and give it a go. And I just went along um, at the time, obviously, as, as I said, I couldn't swim. And I said that to Eamon, I said, I have no interest in triathlon, but I want to improve my running. And he was completely open and welcoming and just said, join in the group. And uh, I suppose as the, the sessions went on, um, Eamon actually teamed me up with his brother Dave as a, a guide, because I was looking for a guide at the time. And Dave again, once again, floated the idea of triathlon to me and basically said okay well, i said i can't swim and he's like okay i'll teach you 
<laughs> and the rest so, is history. The rest is history, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to bring Dave in here now for a minute, because uh, Dave, you've been in the sports triathlon since 1984. That's probably longer than many of my listeners will have been doing the sports triathlon, because in Ireland, it's it's still a relatively new-ish sport, like 1984. I mean, Ironman's only 40 years old in what was it 2018 you must have seen a huge change in the sports triathlon across the country or across the world since you took it up back those oh, years massively ago. massively like i remember when we started there was no access to information because there was no internet there were no mobile phones the only way you found out about events were if you happened to see them on the tv which the Oran Man used to be televised once a year. The half Oran Man that was held in Sligo every year. Like that was the mecca of triathlons in Ireland back then. That was televised every Christmas. If you were involved in triathlons, that's what you watched. How did you get involved in the sport back in 1984? Through watching that on the TV at Christmas with my brother-in-law, who was a cyclist. And at the time, I was smoking 80 a day. I was drinking. I was lapping her up, living life to the full, as I thought. And uh, my brother-in-law says to me, he says, oh, you wouldn't be able for that. And I says, "Uh, sure, that doesn't look too hard. And he says, I bet you a tenner you wouldn't be able to do a triathlon. Ten pounds was put down on the table and the two of us, he was a cyclist with uh, Dublin Wheelers at a good level. He rode to Junior Ross and he was like he was well into training. He knew about cycling. He says to me, he says, look, I have a second bike there of all the cycling kit. I can give you that. He says, there's a triathlon on. So we did a bit of research and the first triathlon of the season was on in Finglas, in the pool in Finglas. So we decided to do a bit of training. We joined the Irish Triathlon Association. That was their first year of uh, of being set up. We joined them. We went along to the Fingers Triathlon, and that was the first triathlon I did. It was a sprint event in uh, starting. It was in May, so um, it was swimming the pool. The cycle went out the North Road and the run um, was out around Fingers. In doing that, I met some great people and some people who sadly aren't with us. Um, the mother of triathlons, Anne Kearney, um, was, uh, was one of my mentors. Uh, another chap, Derek Murphy, who is still involved in sport at, at his own level, but doesn't compete anymore. And Derek did every discipline of triathlons there is all over the world and he introduced us to hill running mountain running as a form of training i finished last in my first triathlon did a breaststroke for the whole swim came back completely changed all my kit put on a full set of cycling kit and back then the kit was woolen so like to get that on you was a challenge in itself. There was no triathlon kit. There was no tri suits. There was no, like there was none of that. Like that hadn't come yet. Then I came back off the bike, took off all the cycling kit in the transition in me nude. 
and put on running kit. Like, and that's what everyone did. Everyone did that. There was no separate changing tents for nudity or penalties. None of that. Absolutely. Down below None the of that. Bone. You put a towel around yourself and you changed standing in the car park in the swimming pool and things. What was your longest transition time, Dave? Some some of the transitions, as well, as you got a bit quicker, you got. Now, that was probably my slowest ever because I changed the full kit, I changed the, the swimming gear into the full cycling gear. And to get the woolen cycling gear onto you when you're all wet was, you had to be a contortionist. Like that's, I, it was everyone, it wasn't just me, it was everyone. You know, and that's like back then. And I remember like we joined as, as we progressed, there was no triathlon clubs. So we joined uh, a swimming club to get better at swimming, a running club to get a better running, Liffey Valley Running Club we joined. Uh, Jim Davis was our coach there. And I remember going uh, to the running club and him saying to us, oh, you want to give up them old triathlons? They're, uh, you know, like you need to be just be a runner. But every club, that's the way they approached you. Like nobody embraced triathlons they all just wanted you as an individual either to swim to cycle or to run triathlons was only evolving people were going there and others but you arrive at a race and there'd be 30 people but it was like a family and you went around the country doing the races around the circuit back then and everyone knew everyone and friendships were struck up that are still to this day still live. Like our friends in Newry who came down to live with us in Rings End and we went to live with them in Belfast because they had access to the only 50 metre pool in Ireland. And we used to go up there and train to be better swimmers. And they would come down and stay with us in Dublin to be better uh, cyclists. I think there's a show on the history of triathlon uh, forming in my yeah, head yeah. Uh, with some of the triathlon, I suppose, legends really yeah. of, of Ireland, which we'll, we might talk about again. But today I really want to focus on, on Donica. Um, so I want to bring it back, Dave, to how you ended up becoming a guide and getting involved in the paratrice side of things. We might bring Eamon in in a minute to talk yeah. about paratriathlon as a whole in terms of, of getting people into the sport. But I want to talk about you and Donica as a pair. And I know there's a number of different guides that have raced and will race with yeah. with Donica. But how did you get involved in that whole side of the sport of triathlon? So I had just finished... Um four years of study I did I went back and did a degree in horticulture in the botanic gardens I was kind of just coming out of that study time and I was kind of going what am I going to do now because all my life I had dipped in and out of triathlons and I think that's one of the reasons I stayed so injury free just coming to the end of my studies I was saying now what am I going to do you know I mean I've all this time now to you know to fail and so Eamon knew where I was at coming out of the studies and he says, I'll nab this fella now, which is what he did. And he rang me up and he says, uh, I have this guy and he's looking to do triathlons. Um, and you know the way you said you wanted to do something? And I says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, well, maybe you arrange a meeting with, with, uh, with this chap. His name is Donica. And I says, right, right, great stuff. So... Donica rang me up 
How are you, Dave? Yeah, Eamon gave me your number, grand job. Uh, can we have a meeting? And I said, yeah, sure, great. So we arranged to meet in coffee shop in Balls Bridge. I arrives up and uh, I'm sitting there waiting on this guy to arrive. I was signing this fella and I said, right, that's it. I'm out of here. So I stood up to go out of the coffee shop and I'm walking out to the door and I open the door of the coffee shop and this guy comes along with a guide dog and a stick. And I said, hold on there, mate. I'll get that door for you. Open the door and he goes, you're Dave, are you? And I goes, yeah, I'm Dave. And there was a moment of silence where he knew I was going, how is this going to work? Because I didn't know he was blind when I was coming to meet him. I didn't know his, how bad his visual impairment was. And I was just, how is this going to work? And what did you think when you met Dave first on it? Did you think, geez, this lad's doing a runner before he even met me? Well, actually, that's the first time I've heard that, actually. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's all coming out now. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so I suppose, like, Dave is dead right there when he said, we didn't know how it was going to work, to be honest. Like, so we sat down and we just went through, um, okay, what can you do swim, bike and run-wise? And at the time, like, I was an okay runner. I didn't have a tandem and I couldn't swim. So we're going to like, <laughs> what's this going to be like? We didn't really know anything about paratriathlon, um, the, the tethering systems, what worked, what didn't work. I'd never swam open water and... In fairness to Dave, like he took it all in his stride, like it didn't phase him whatsoever. Like Joey just said, no problem, we'll work through this and we'll find some way of um, getting this all together. Like, and this was probably maybe 2016, late 2016. It was September. January then, January 2017, we'd done our first multi-sport race and that was um, Nice Duathlon out in Punchestown. So done really well, like finished second in my age category that day, so... So you've gone from zero yeah. to hero, really. I mean, what was your what was your swim time when you started off? Somebody told me it was around 40 minutes, oh, but yeah. now you're rocking out like 15, 16 minutes. Yeah, minutes. yeah. Like when I say I couldn't swim back then, like, I mean, I couldn't swim. Like, I could do maybe three or four strokes in the pool and I'd have to stop. I couldn't breathe. So for um, most of us, Donica, that have come to triathlon at an older age, you know, so there's mm, a lot of athletes out there that are mm, doing their first race when they're in their late 30s, 40s, mm, whatever, whatever their reason. Swimming is one of the biggest barriers and there's a huge, massive fear of the water amongst yeah. people who haven't learned to swim as a child. Yeah. But you had the double issue of being visually impaired not able to swim and probably had to be tethered to somebody uh, mm. in the pool. How do you go and, and get over all of that and become as good as you are in, in terms of your swimming? Yeah, it's um, quite difficult. Yeah, it was a lot of hours in the water, to be honest. Um, like I know when I started swimming, um, it was a case of just getting used to being in the water on my own. And then I slowly progressed to um swimming one linked or a half linked then one linked um and then Fair. just build, build it up and up and like the biggest thing is it it is your your mind because you're like you you do and for athletes in particular have a, t- a tendency to overthink things and 
um, say, oh, I'm not doing this right, this right, this right. And like, it's one thing one of my coaches said to me is just keep everything simple. And um, I actually spoke to another um, visually impaired athlete who had a similar background to me, had no swimming background and learned to swim. He just gave me a few tips in terms of what to do and it just it just took time it took a lot of time a lot of patience there's a few tantrums thrown i'm sure that was by um, dave was it both of us i'd say i'd say no, not so much tantrums <laughs> but frustration frustration yeah frustration yeah frustration yeah because like we, like, we, we have never fallen in no. ever in all our time together we have never had only only one time i came very close to just blowing a fuse and that was our first ever triathlon swim. I remember we were, we had done the swim in the pool. Now we were struggling to do the distance, 750 meters. We were struggling to do the distance, but we were doing it, stopping, going, stopping, going. And our system was, Dunica would hold my left shoulder or my right shoulder. We tread water and then we'd go again. So that, you know, he'd get his, his breathing right and then he put the head down, do another five or six strokes, stop, hold my shoulder again and do the same again. In our first ever triathlon, that was the closest I came to just saying here, nothing, <laughs> right? Because we had put so much time into trying to, you know, develop a bit of swimming, a bit of a stroke and to get through the 750. And we knew that when we got on the bike, that we would actually be racing. And we once we got in the run, we were, there was nobody to race against us because we were, we were good runners. Like we were able to race. And in that situation where, in that situation where we were, uh, where we were in the swim, I remember, and I remember the nervousness of him at the start. And I said to myself, this fellow's not going to do this. He's going to say no, and I can't do this. And he nearly did till I said, right, if you don't do this, I am not going to go any further. And I screamed at him in the water, in the barrel in Carlo. I screamed at him in the water. When the hooter went off, I said, right, three, two, one, go. And he had a panic attack. He started hyperventilating in the water and he was holding on to me and I kept saying, hold me shoulder, hold me shoulder. And he did that. I said, right, three, two, one. And I was trying to fire him up to put the head down, but he just couldn't get the breathing to just, but I think it was the whole anxiety of the water, the crowd, the moment of the race. That was that was the defining moment in his triathlon career because he got over the anxiety of being afraid of the water. And I don't know how he did it. And I don't know how he does it now even. But I know that when we are swimming together in open water, he's in his own element because I find it's the place where with, even without a tether, we have swam lots of times without tether. And I would just swim along beside DC, as I call him. I'd swim along beside him and I'd bump off him 
just to let him know I'm there or he'd bump off me. But when he's swimming, he can swim and swim and swim. And I experienced that when we did the Liffey swim. It was the first visually impaired athlete to swim in the Liffey. I, I remember coming to the finish at the Liffey swim and we were swimming down the Liffey and it's, it's a big pontoon in the middle of the Liffey that you swim through to finish and then you get out of the water. But I remember having to actually hold him back and say, we're finished. Yeah, like I just keep swimming until I get a tap on the head to stop. <laughs> it's not an irrational fear that you had getting into the water in, in the barrel. No. Because a lot of people... Yeah, a lot of people feel they, that. They, and yeah. it's the adrenaline rush of the whole race. I'm mm. sure, Mark, you've experienced it in, in many of your races, that I've, adrenaline I've rush. Two, two, two panic attacks in Ironman swims. So respect this guy, John McVeigh, like, you mm. know... I, I can see, you can't see, and you have a panic attack, yeah. and you've overcome it. So your yeah. listeners can overcome it. All in the mind is done like I said. So talk to me then, and um, like about your training in general. How does it work? Do you train all the time with a guide? So are your guys always with you, regardless of what you're doing in terms of training, or how does it work? I suppose at the moment, like I'm training maybe 16 to 18 hours a week. Kind of consists of probably between five and six swims, five runs, three bikes, and strength and conditioning then on top of that to be honest the majority of my sessions I actually do on my own so there are key sessions during the week that I try to do to guide my speed sessions and running or my tempo runs uh, similarly on the bike my my long long spins on the bike three or four hour spins I do outdoors on the tandem and then obviously I swim uh, my swim club in Markovich and do some sessions in UCD as well a lot of the, the easier stuff and aerobic stuff I just do on the turbo on my own or on the treadmill on a practical level and this mm. might be more to do with my ignorance around your own situation but how do you get around i know you have air when you mm. have the stick but how do you get around picking up the right size weights the setting your turbo at the right level for when you're on your own and doing yeah. stuff on a practical level because i'll never touch wood i will never become visually impaired but i'll never really understand what it is like day to day to do what you do to be honest like for me technology is is pretty much key like for all my runs i have an apple watch um and that actually speaks to me so like anything um so when i when I, whatever i touch on the screen it reads back to me so if i'm doing a session on the treadmill or intervals on the treadmill it'll read back what pace i'm running at what distance i've covered similarly on the uh turbo so um I have a, it's a Wahoo Kicker Turbo. The, there's an app for the iPhone that that connects to, so I can control everything to do with the Turbo on, on the iPhone app. So that'll read back to me my, my power output. Um, I can change the resistance or set the wattage to a certain certain level. So I know exactly, okay, what, what watts I need to do or what heart rate I need to hit. Do you prefer working off watts or heart rate? At the moment, I'm working... Well, I kind of use them both in, in tandem with each other, so... Running wise, at the moment, I'm I'm doing everything on heart rate, um, on on the turbo. I do everything by power, uh, but I do keep an eye on my heart rate as well, just to make sure that I'm in the right, in the right zone or that I'm not too tired from that week's training. and maybe need to back it off a little bit. So, yeah, like I, I always keep an eye on heart rate, but from from a cycling point of view, yeah, I just focus on on power. How much trust do you have to place in the people around you to help you in terms of your triathlon performance, like with Dave or mm. Brian McChrystal or Stephen Tealy? That relationship, it has to be very strong, doesn't it? 
Yeah, like and and like that really does come come down to the amount you train together in a sprint race scenario. It's it's one hour of racing hard, high balls out. Like so, there there's not a whole amount of time to communicate or explain things that's going on. You really need to get that communication down to a T in in your training session. So you know exactly. You can almost tell by by touch or whatever that Brian would know if if I'm overexerting myself or similarly or like knows what effort I'm putting out on bike we do a lot of training together just to to get in sync with each other know know each other know when we're tired know when we're able to push it that bit harder so it's all down to practice really and just spending as much time together as you can and just build that build that relationship and build that bit of a rapport between each other Eamon, I want to bring you in here um, quickly just on the whole uh, guide side of things and the power choice side of things because I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who have the ability to be a guide. They have the, the, the power, the strength, the, the empathy um, and they might be interested in getting involved in the power choice scene here in Ireland. So how does somebody get involved in it or what are the qualities that you look for? Just to give you some, a little bit of background on it, uh, we started the programme in 2014 um, Chris Kitchen, um, you know, he was a CEO and he still is CEO. He gave us the opportunity to develop this program. Um, Triathlon Ireland, uh, as a, a nation or organisation of, of Ireland, um, is is fantastic. You know, they're very open and, and allows us to run with most things. So, just in coming back to your question uh, regarding guides, um, it's important that we get the right team. Okay, it has to fit. I had a uh, young Chris Minton on the bike last week there at the Nice Duathlon champ- uh, Championships, uh, Power Championships, and I had him on the front first, uh, and he went, oh my God, I'm not getting on that bike ever again. And, you know, I said, look, with a bit of help, with a support, you can. Um, so it just goes to show you, like, regarding guides, it has to be the perfect fit. Um, ideally, if you look at 2016, we brought the first female, Catherine Walsh, to uh, Rio. Catherine's guide was Fran Meehan, and both of them were superb and the gold yeah, medalists in the Paragains. We look for performance, we measure watts, and usually every, everybody looks at watts, uh, and we also look at the power to weight, uh, ref- relevant to the individual who they are guiding. You couldn't imagine Donica driving Brian with Crystal around, or yeah, vice, yeah. vice versa. <laughs> oh, I could imagine that, all right. Pocket <laughs> rocket. Yeah. Well, again, that's, you know, what we're looking at is in the programme is to try and find the perfect guide for Donica. Uh, at the moment, as you rightly said earlier on, there is um, a series of four or five guides looking for that one slot. Uh, now, we won't make that decision until we, you know, pretty much May or June, once we get a selection for Dunica. So ideally, from our point of view, it's about who is the better of that, which fits. And that's only a measure, one measure, uh, the team, the fit. The second one would be, of course, the ability to swim or cycle or run. Who is the faster or can they hold Dunica's run pace? Or what is your run pace? At the moment for 5k, my 5k PB would be 1730. That's fairly rapid. Yeah. Ideally, from, from our point of view, it, it's about somebody having a percentage greater than that. Different percentages for, for different um, disciplines. Uh, and ideally, the, the guide can only swim as good as the athlete. Okay. 
the percentage wise from a performance on the sprint distance is 51% is the bike and that's the greater. So ideally when we look at weighting it, we look predominantly on who are the stronger of the bikers. Then we look at can they maintain that athlete's performance on the swim and can they then put in a performance greater than the athlete and can they hold his run pace on the course. So where are we now with the qualification for Tokyo? Uh, it's 20, ranked 24th, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, 24th yeah. in the world, 20th on the Paralympic selection uh, ranking. Um, it's difficult. It's not just difficult. You know, they usually pick the top 10 in the world, top nine, and then you get nominated. The last slot is usually by party slot. So ideally, what we're looking at is to show representation to the ITU or the International Federation is that we can be people. Paratriathlon is only a young sport and that in itself is a hindrance to us. We would have been likened to be in it earlier but you know ideally from our point of view we aren't so we deal with what we have and I have to take my hat off to any athlete with a disability especially uh, Donica who has the, the, the passion and the drive to want to go to the games and and when we look at uh, Donica you know, he's, yeah, he's ranked 20th in the Paralympic rankings, but when we measure him up against other athletes, he's well able. So, Donaghy, you were sixth in the Paratri World Championships, was the test event for Tokyo, wasn't that right? Yeah. A cancelled swim and became mm, a duathlon. If it had been, if it had been the true event, there was mm. no cancelled swim, do you think you would have ranked higher? Um, yeah, like, it, it's impossible to say, really, like, um, it really came down to the weather conditions on the day, Tokyo heat, like you really need to be out there in it to experience what it was like. Like it was so hot, about 30 degree heat, but the humidity was around 95%. Even doing a 5k run, never mind, I suppose an extra two and a half k run at the start. On top of that really just saps the strength in your legs. So I think maybe getting in the water might have been a little bit refreshing, you know. Like I think from that point, like it's it's impossible to say really how we would have performed if it was a swim. Like we've done subsequent races, obviously, um, where it has been the full triathlon and the swim. It isn't <laughs> it isn't a debilitating factor whatsoever in terms of us competing. Like you know, um, I think we're we're really well up there in terms of the top athletes in the world. And like I know we have we have a lot more to to prove this year as well. So. How do you train for the heat then, Dunica? Because that's going to affect an awful lot of athletes across the sports that Ireland will send. Mm. Uh, you know, how, how do you factor that into your training or your preparation for Tokyo? Yeah, so like um, we'd be looking to do uh, some warm weather training before um, just heading abroad, but um, like for here locally. So on the build up to Tokyo, um, I was doing some sessions in the sauna um after after a workout so it was primarily a swim obviously um so i go and do a swim workout and then just get out of the water and go straight into the sauna and just sit there for 30 minutes and just let the heat bake me basically <laughs> and it's just about trying to get your body to adapt to that that just intense heat and that's pretty much it um there, there's not a whole lot you can do apart from that um than than being out there and being in in situ before the race itself and just getting used to the weather conditions 
you mentioned earlier that you're training around 16 hours a week plus you have a, a full-time job with mm-hmm. uh, Vodafone how do you balance your try life your work life and um, I suppose getting in the recovery that's needed between all of the sessions and getting some time just for Dunica to chill with Aero or is there any of that at all yeah there is um like in fairness work have been hugely supportive to me and like obviously I'm very grateful for that like they know uh where I'm at the moment and what I'm trying to achieve so they've been very flexible in terms of um just allowing me to train in the mornings if if that's a swim or a run session and then come into work and do my day's work uh up until five o'clock in the evening as well as that like uh, in in vodafone it's it's great because there's a huge emphasis as well on kind of work-life balance and well-being and like there's a full gym and work um everyone's into sports so it's quite easy for me to get training sessions in at lunchtime as well if i need to do that and I think all the rest of it just really comes down to it's just preparation. Like you just have to be as prepared as possible for for your week. So you just need to plan plan out what sessions you're doing, prepare your food for the week, uh, ensure that you have the right food for recovery post, uh, particularly your harder sessions. So your your speed work and your um, your tempo work, and just make sure that you have the I suppose nutrition you need to to take straight away after that session before you can get something more substantial into you and get your body ready for whatever the second session is for that day. So I usually kind of balance it off in terms of I have a hard session in the morning, easy session in the evening or vice versa. So obviously you'd never do two hard sessions on the one day. In terms of your your sleep, mm. do you sleep much or do you are you visualizing all the time getting to that start night in Tokyo? Yeah, it's like sleep is huge, hugely important for um i suppose that recovery and making sure your body is refreshed for the next day so i put a lot of um emphasis on on sleep and getting a good night's sleep so like i just switch the phone off before i go to bed make sure that there's no disturbances like that and um just when you're talking about visualizing for tokyo no look i like i don't let that get into my head whatsoever like um like i just focus on one race at a time and just focus on the training leading into that race and make sure that I'm in as good a shape as possible and ready to perform for, for that race. So like my, my next race now is um, it's a paratriathlon World Cup in Abu Dhabi. So just purely to focus on now is just trying to get myself race ready for that for that for that event and get Do a good feel result. Under pressure to perform to come home. And as the winner of the race or to improve your rankings, you know, how do you deal with the pressure? We know that in, in the barrel those mm-hmm. years ago, a couple of years ago with the swim, yeah. have you come up with um, things that help you to prepare so that you're you're not anxious or yeah. you're not worried or, you know, how do you deal with the pressure that you've all these wonderful people mm. around you supporting you and, and not letting them down and mm. not letting yourself down? Yeah, like there's always a little bit of pressure going into a race and I think I think it's a good thing as well because it kind of helps you to focus and um, just make sure that you're not going to miss any sessions leading into into a race. But um, like really, what I do try to do is, I suppose, the week leading into a race when I'm on a taper is just look back at my past six, seven weeks of training and try and get an understanding. Okay, where I'm at fitness wise, what I've been doing and 
I put just realistic expectations on myself going into a race. Like, like the potential there is obviously is to run a, win a race, but I, I don't put that pressure on myself going into a race. I just look at my, my past training, uh, what I've been doing, and just know that when I go out there to race that I'm giving it 100% and leaving everything out there on the course. And I think it doesn't just apply to elite racing or anything like that. Like that, It's the same for everyone, I think, if... No matter what you're doing training-wise, if you're if you give it a hundred percent out there on the day and leave everything out in the course, you can't you can't be disappointed when you finish, no matter where you finish on on the day. I read something um, there that you mentioned uh, that if you believe in yourself, others will believe in you too. I think that's hugely important with what you're you're trying to do. That you very much believe in your ability and in your sport and, mm. and what you're trying to do. You must be incredibly proud of what you've done. Where you've come from when you think back to being a kid um going through your cancer treatment and, and yeah. becoming visually impaired and, and where you are now like you're on the cusp of representing your country in a sport that you took up very recently and are about to go to the biggest sporting event in the world yeah when you put it like that um like a, yeah like i i suppose i'm i'm very bad for that in terms of self-reflecting back on where i've come from like um i'm always kind of looking forward to the the next race and how i can improve but um when i actually sit back and take stock and look at where i came from and yeah i think it's just uh, a testament really to just hard work and just putting in the hours and i think that's possible for anyone like um if you look at three years ago i, I couldn't swim um barely barely do an open water swim in a race uh to now um, world cup medals. yeah getting getting medals at an international in, level international so i think it should be very encouraging for anyone out there like you know it's uh if you, i think if you surround yourself obviously with the, around yourself with the right people like i have a, a great team involved in the paratriathlon program and you know that's full credit to Eamon and the work he's doing uh, not just for me, but for for paratriathlon in general in Ireland. He's a super team there um, from running coaches, cycling coaches, strength and conditioning, a nutritionist on board. Um, family. 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 <laughs> yeah, it is. So yeah. That's yeah. That's very special about the triathlon community mm. as well, is that it all kind of comes together, that we've got somebody who, who is aiming to be at the top of his the top of his game. I know you've been the, the national champion mm. on two occasions. You were the para try athlete of the year. Huge accolades for you to, to achieve. And I imagine the support of sponsors is very important as well. That's where we mm. where Mark O'Dwyer comes in and the triathlete himself must be very important to have him in your corner as well because he understands the sport. Yeah, and it's it's great to have um the likes of Big Red Cloud backing me. Um I also have HLB Sheen Quinn as a sponsor and Kingspan as well and like it's 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 very humbling to have have uh, companies of that kind of caliber backing me and believing in me and just interested in my story I think it's it's fantastic and if it's something that can promote para sport and sport in general and what that can do for people I think that's that's all the better you know Mark, for the likes of yourself, um, you know, with your own company and your own background in sport, rugby being your, your first sport and triathlon, your second, how important is it for you to, to get involved with the likes of, of Dunica and support his journey to Tokyo and indeed his, his endeavours as an athlete in general? Yeah, I guess look, all your listeners out there all have kind of 
set goals, whether it's just to complete a sprint triathlon, an Olympic triathlon, do a half Ironman, do a full Ironman. And everybody has a bigger goal than what they set out to be. I'm one of them. I'd like to get to the World Championships. Uh, may not get there. So I then look at uh, Donaghy. you got to love the guy. you got to respect the guy. I didn't know he had the panic attacks. And I can relate to that because I had the panic attacks I said earlier on. And he's blind and he's just doing it and he's going to get to the Olympics. And you ask about the, does he feel the pressure? I have him on a performance related uh, incentive as well as Tony Chumpamuni Allen. So he gets a certain amount first, second and third. So he has that there. It's a little incentive, but being a businessman, I like to put it a little bit out there. So I'm just delighted to give back in some way. And when you can support somebody who is as dedicated as Donica at this sport, it's just a pleasure for me to sit back and watch. And I'm like really humbled to be in the company of everybody here and be included in this podcast because it's just, it's, I'm having a great little laugh here. It's great. But again, it's, it's the triathlon family. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've, you've, you know when you started in triathlons, oh, you were kind of, you arrived to your first race and you're kind of looking in the transition, you wheel your bike in and you're going, eh, what do I do here? You know, well, actually, I have a funny story like you, but your yeah. first race. I, yeah. I decided to do a, a, a relay first to start off. And being competitive, I got a really good swimmer and I got the national under 25 cycling champion as my Brilliant. cyclist. So Why swimmer, doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> so the swimmer came out in, two, in the 18 position and the cyclist put me onto the 10k run in first position. And I'm 5k into the 10k run, this guy shouts at me, Hey, Mark, I'm coming to get you. And I look around, it's Eamon Cochran. And he just waves his hand like he did in the Olympics, <laughs> going past me. And he told me afterwards, he saw me warming up in the car park, thought I looked like a bit of a challenge, found out what my name was, and said he'd sprint past me to kill my spirit. And I said, well, do you know what? It did. So come a second to an Olympic champion. Well, here's another story. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's the whole triathlon community. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just great. Yeah, and you like to give back. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you've been given too. And it's unfair to be selfish. And that's what triathletes do. They do give back to their family. And I think that's why I get so much from guiding, is that when I started, look, Anne Carney was my mentor. And she was like your mother. She was everyone's mother. You know, she, look, she inspired everyone. You know, I mean, she just, she was such a great athlete herself. Like, I remember her children when they were, you know, five and six and they were into swimming and they used to come along to the races but Anne was there and no matter what people questions they had you know what they ate you know because there was no internet there was no like there was nobody to kind of show you the way except that you know you went outside to the separate entities of swimming cycling and running there was no there was no club, but triathletes came together as a family. And I think triathlon ensues that as a family now. And people give back who have been involved, like me, from the start. And I love guiding. I, I would race with Donica every day of the week if I could. That's a because, real uh, endorsement of Donica as well as an athlete, I think, isn't it? But, I mean, we, like, as he said, you need somebody to gel with. From our first run together, he nearly killed me, he did. We have a corner called after me when we run in the Phoenix Park. He knocked me out in our first run together. Was it on purpose? Um, Gone again, my fault. <laughs> Gone around the corner, not used to guiding. The tether went long. He caught my foot. I landed on my head, stood up, and I was dazed. 
and all these people running by us in a 5k race to the uh the tom brennan doesn't tom, yeah, brennan tom brennan memorial yeah. race going by liffey valley on new year's day and on that corner that's my corner where he tripped me up when we're doing our long runs it was i would say we're just coming to tilly corner now and he'd laugh still to this day. Is there a plaque in the corner? Don't I think we're going to put a statue up there of him falling sometime. Yeah. Um, but like he's, yeah, like he's he's right there. Like uh, I know we don't get to race as often as we do, as we did. Um, but obviously, yeah, like we, we still train together. And like I don't see Dave as just, just a guide. Like he's a friend as well. And it's the same with my other guides. Like they're a lot more than just someone to race with you know and i think that's really important to building that kind of relationship with the guide as well i think that's the triathlon family mm. yeah. mark you probably got that when you started that's why you know? that's why i'm giving back yeah, yeah like and even now today like when you go to a race like there's never any animosity there's never there's Everybody. a bit of banter, there's a bit of yeah. inter-club kind of yeah. competition, but mm. it's actually what I think is very special about the sports triathlon is, you know, you might come from a club background in terms of like a, a team sport background, but if you haven't had that opportunity as a kid to play in a club sport, you've never really understood what it's like. And then you come into triathlon and while it's an individual sport, there's such a great spirit with all of the tri-clubs. And I think that's, you know, that's hugely important and uh, we see lots and lots more people um, getting involved in it. I want to just check quickly, Eamon, Pete, Mark and Connor on the Art on the Internet. <laughs> uh, in fairness, it wasn't my idea now. So, um, no, in fairness to the guys, um, they um, decided to, I think they were looking for a challenge to do anyway. And they, they settled on this Art O'Neill challenge. I'd never heard of it before now, to be fair, until I looked into it. And um, I, I thought they were nuts, to be honest, doing it. But um, in fairness to them, they decided to run it and help raise funds, obviously, for my own aims to qualify for Tokyo and for the Wicklow Mountain Rescue um, as well, um, which was massive of them, really. Uh, was, so, um, yeah, so I was just there to support them. Um, on on the night when they set out, and then the next morning when they arrived in the middle of the the Wicklow Mountains um, at the finish line. So, um, yeah, no, that was an absolutely massive event. What's been the highlight of your sporting career to date? Uh, there's probably a lot now. Um, really, for me, I think it's just I think representing your country. I think, and um, especially the first time um, I got to. To wear an Irish Irish kit, and I think it was that time in Romania when I captained the Irish football team in the, the European qualifiers. Definitely for me, like um, like when when I lost my sight first, like that was that was something I don't think I would have ever imagined in my life. Um, representing your country internationally, and like it was a huge honour to do that. Um, obviously since then there's been. Probably a few other highlights. Definitely doing doing the Liffey swim was another thing I thought was impossible and something that I'd never ever do, to be honest. And obviously my my first triathlon as well was a, a big moment. So, does anybody listening to the show now and they're sitting there thinking, "Geez, I could never do X, Y, or Z"? What would your advice be to them? Um, <laughs> I really think it's. Like it's it, like if you're going to do something that you think is impossible, um, you're going to go through hard times. Like for me, learning to swim, it was 
a slog. It really was a slog. And I think when you get through through the difficult moments and get to the other side, eventually something will just click and it just becomes easy all of a sudden. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, what just happened there? And I really think it's it's all down to your mindset, um, your focus, and obviously your determination to try and get, get something done and just get through the training. And yeah, like I, I just really think that's it. Just when, when the going gets tough, just slog it out and keep going and eventually eventually you get there. Get the right people around you too. Yeah, exactly. I think that's important. Having that group around you to support you as well. Um is it was absolutely massive for me and definitely in terms of the amount of people that I've had in terms of guides, um, coaches, um, even even within the paratriathlon now as well, like um the other athletes involved, like each athlete they're all absolutely amazing. Like they all have their own story. They all have their own difficulties, but they just get on with it. Like you never at our training sessions, you never hear anyone complaining or giving out or anything like that. They just just keep the head down and, and train. And I think that's that's hugely inspirational for me, like as well. Thank you so much for coming in to uh, to record the show today. Hugely inspiring. I wish you the very best of luck in Tokyo. I have no doubt you will get there and you will come home and have done Ireland very, very proud. I want to say a huge thank you to Eamon for coordinating the interview today, for taking time out from his schedule to come in, and Mark from Big Red Cloud for hosting us here today. Thank you so much for hosting us here in your offices in Dublin. I look forward to seeing you on the start line in Tokyo. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are enjoying the show, please pop a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Facebook page, Try Talking Sport. I love hearing your feedback on the interviews. If you want to get in touch, pop an email to trytalkingsport at gmail.com. That's try with an I, not a Y. Don't forget to complete our survey on www.trytalkingsport.com for the chance to win one of our bobble beanie hats. Until next time, stay safe, happy training, and don't forget to set those goals.